Nicholas Borners of Capital Inc. I'd like to welcome you to yet another uh, panel of great interest. This one is going to talk about uh, ship finance, the ship owner's point of view. We had before another panel that provided the financier's point of view. So now we are going to uh, discuss with uh, five CFOs of major shipping companies, how they look uh, at the overall landscape of uh, ship finance. Um, so I will uh, thank, I thank all of you for joining. And uh, Jaisal, the floor is yours. Uh, I will let Jaisal uh, to uh, introduce uh, the panelists. Uh, Jaisal is uh, a partner, the head of uh, the finance uh, practice at uh, Hill Dickinson. So thank you very much for moderating the panel and uh, Stavros, Simos, Apostolos, Ted and James, uh, big thank you for me and Jason, the, the, the floor is yours. All right, thanks very much Nicholas and uh, thanks for the in introduction and also as usual, the, the very kind invitation from Capital Link. Um, I think Nicholas let the, the cat out of the bag and mentioned that I'm a lawyer. So I'm immediately the least interesting person on this call. Uh, but thankfully for, 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 for our audience and, and, and viewers, uh, we've got an excellent panel to, to make up for it. Um, so just to briefly introduce everyone, um, it will be a bit scattered because I'm sure that we're on, on different parts of the screen for different people. But uh, um, first off, we've got Simos uh, Spiru, who's co-CFO at uh, Starbolt Carriers. Uh, we've got James Doyle, who's head of corporate development and investor relations at Scorpio Tankers and Neti. We've got Stavros Dipakis, who's CFO at Synergy Maritime Holdings. Uh, Apostolos Zapolios, um, who's CFO uh, at Genco Shipping. And we have Ted Young, who's CFO at Dorian LPG. Um, and before we dive straight into the questions, I should probably set the bar low by mentioning that we are actually at the post-lunch slot for New York. We're at the dinner slot for, uh, for, for Athens in Greece. So... Um, hopefully that, that will help us to set the bar low. We'll have to keep the conversation interesting and try and avoid any uh, indigestion for, from those who have just had lunch. But uh, moving on to the, the first question uh, with, with that in mind, um, what we'll do is we'll, we'll set the, the, the context uh, a little bit, the current market, uh, and uh, we'll have uh, each of our um, uh, panelists kind of give their initial input um, on, on, on the prior financial year and how they see things, come, uh, things to come for uh, for 2022 in terms of ship finance and, and capital requirements and also capital markets. So just to set the, uh, the context of that, um, you know, it, it probably goes without saying these days that things in shipping are never dull. Um, hot and cold markets for different sectors, some booming markets for some sectors. Um, COVID vaccines in 2021, stabilizing uh, world markets, recovery taking hold, vessel values improving, lots more liquidity, and then war starts in Europe. Oil prices uh, reaching record highs, Russia excluded from the market through sanctions, and uh, the latest being that uh, you know, large parts of China are going to be going into very strict lockdown. So, as I said, never dull. Uh, but on that topic, just to give a kind of uh, intro for, for each of our panelists in terms of how, how they did view the, the prior financial year, which is probably a task in itself, perhaps even just looking back at the last three to six months. Um, and then how they see um, uh, the 2020 uh, developing. Uh, Stavros, you're in my top left-hand corner. So uh, do you want to, to make a start on that topic? Sure, sure, Jason. Good afternoon to you and to our fellow panelists. A big thanks to Nicola and Capital Link for hosting our panel. Yeah, I'll start on a positive note. I'll start with 2021, which was indeed a, a very good year for dry bulk and, and, and for cave sizes, which is Synergy's niche. 
Uh, rates hit indeed uh, multi-year highs. Uh, we averaged above 30,000 for the year and we, we generated basically record profits. And most of us were able to, to, to reward our shareholders by initiating or paying, paying out large dividends, uh, which we aim also to continue doing forward. Now, on the corporate finance front, in the beginning of last year, we moved quickly. We priced the follow-on registered direct offering at, 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 I would say, an attractive valuation considering the NV of the company back then. Uh, then we deployed the capital accretively, mainly to support, a, a, I would say, well-timed and, and, and aggressive considering our scale fleet expansion program. Uh, we grew by around 70% from 10 vessels in 2020 up to 17 vessels in 2021. Uh, we, we also, I mean, uh, got the chance to deleverage the balance sheet. We paid down debt and, and, and we financed the new vessels that we bought very conservatively or, or with equity only. Now on, on the debt side, because it's, it's, it's basically a ship finance panel, we did a, a bit of everything uh, last year. We did traditional bank lending uh, where, where we got lots of support from and, and renewed interest, I would say, from, from local banks, from Greek banks. They have returned aggressively in the market and, and they have ample liquidity to support our industry. Uh, we closed the loan with a Taiwanese lender, also a nice niche that's developing over there. That was their first Cape size financing ever, and they chose us to transact with, given our pure play model. And then we did also leasing with Chinese and, and Japanese counterparties. Uh, also a couple of transactions with ESG flavor. We did a sustainability linked loan with one of our Greek banks. Uh, and it's encouraging to see that Greeks, I mean, the more traditional or I would say old school uh, shipping lenders, they are exploring these structures as well. And, and we did also a synthetic sale in Lisbon with one of our charters with, with uh, Cargill, which has an embedded time charter agreement with building funding for the installation of energy saving devices on, on, on the specific uh, ship. Uh, now, looking ahead, indeed, what's happening in Ukraine, it's, it's I mean, leaving aside the, the very sad uh, humanitarian aspects, uh, is causing uncertainties in, in, in our markets. We're trying to adjust. We see more established trade patterns that are being gradually replaced by longer ones, less efficient ones. Now, usually these kind of disruptions, they eat into the vessel supply and, and, and result in, in higher day rates. So we are being cautiously optimistic for, for the day after tomorrow, but for the time being, we'll have to live with, with the volatility that we're facing. Now, in terms of funding needs, uh, Synergy, and I think most of the dry bulk players out there, we are in a good place. Uh, at, at this rate, we're still making money. We're still profitable. Uh, we have also some nice hedges that we're carrying over from previous quarters. And, and on the loan side, I would say, I mean, we did more than 170 million in new financing and refice in 2021 and, and, and in the beginning of 2022. So we are not faced with, with any loose ends, really. Uh, we have a couple of uh, a small balloon on two ships, which uh, I expect, I mean, to refinance uh, with no issues, judging from the interest that we get from the lenders. And in terms of capital allocation, I think we will continue on the same mix. I mean, rewarding our shareholders through dividend distributions, potentially some buybacks, depending on, on, on how the share price develops. And maybe we're going to pick 
cap a couple of, of ships more, second-hand prices for Cape still do make sense, uh, which will finance basically through, through cash that we have on the balance sheet and, and senior debt, uh, or, or some debt on existing ships that we have that are debt-free. Uh, and, and, and that's it for synergy and, and, and for the for, for the Cape size sector. You covered a lot of uh, topics. I think I, I want to come back to probably a number of those, but um, I'll, I'll keep quiet for now and I'll, I'll pass the, the same question and topic on. Um, on my screen, it comes across to you, Simos. So if, if you'd like to um, have a go at that topic. Thank you, Jaisal, and uh, thank you from my side as well to Nicholas and Capital Link for hosting us tonight. Uh, indeed, I agree with Stavros, 2021 was obviously an exceptional year uh, with uh, freight rates being very strong across all vessel classes in, uh, in our uh, segment in dry bulk. Uh, from financing perspective, we have executed a 400 million refinancing program during 2021, uh, reducing our interest costs substantially, including also repaying, retiring actually, uh, our 50 million uh, baby bond, which had a coupon of 8.3%. Uh, we also entered in a swap agreements for some of uh, those new facilities. Uh, which actually are proving valuable uh, during 2022 uh, with rising interest rates. Overall, we have about uh, 55 to 60% of our debt hedged through swaps at an average cost of uh, approximately 46% uh, basis points. So we have uh, taken steps to reduce our exposure to uh, rising interest rates environment uh, significantly. During 2021, uh, we managed to reduce our overall interest costs by approximately 20% vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, the previous year. And this has not taken into account the full effect of uh, the 21, uh, 2021 refinancings. We have currently six uh, vessels that are unlevered after completing the, the refinancing program. And we do not have any debt maturities uh, for the remaining of 2022 and the first uh, three quarters of 2023. Uh, Starbuck is currently a great, a great credit for all financiers. And we have many financing options in our disposal in order to further reduce interest costs. We are evaluating them and you might see us doing more refinancings in the, in the, in the near future to reduce further our interest costs. Uh, any new vessel acquisition can be financed at very competitive rates or even through, you might even see us buying vessels without any debt as a part of our deleveraging uh, strategy uh, to gradually uh, reduce our corporate uh, debt on a corporate level. Deleveraging may be a way to cater for uncertainty in this environment, and I agree with, uh, with uh, Stavros uh, that uh, it's very unfortunate uh, what we are uh, lately seeing uh, with the uh, war in uh, Ukraine and uh, this uh, turbulent geopolitical environment and we believe basically that uh, you know the only way to to cater for this uncertainty is basically to further strengthen your balance sheet and, uh, and uh, reduce debt uh, which will make you know stronger uh, the overall uh, 
credit. Great, thanks, Amos. Um, Apostolos, you're, you're next on my screen, if you'd like to jump in there. Yeah, sure. I think that, um, you know, um, the, the, the other guys covered the drawback story. I think that the one thing to note is, you know, part of the strength of this market has been due to a historically low order book uh, at close to 6%. Um, that's, you know, that's one thing. I mean, obviously the demand side is great, but the low order book is something that we haven't seen in, well, over a decade, and you know, as I said, the all-time low was six percent. So I think that that is a that is a good base for fundamentals going forward as well. Um, you know, obviously on the on the on the industry side, uh, agreed on the events in Ukraine. Um, you know, past the humanitarian aspect, um, they have actually sort of benefited the dry bulk trade at least for now, uh, specifically in terms of rerouting flows for both grains and coal. Uh, the grain side is a little bit more uncertain going forward, but on the coal side, you're seeing a, a clear differentiation uh, of a, a clear rerouting of cargoes um, that would uh, normally go out of the Black Sea and into Europe now being uh, redirected and Europe getting, uh, getting coal from Australia a much longer ton mile. So, you know, the combination of factors, again, always under, underpinned by the lower supply side um, has uh, provided a good uh, background for us uh, industry-wide and, and, and hopefully going forward as well. Um, Janko specifically, you know, for, uh, for the past year, I think, uh, I think both Simos and Stavros mentioned it, um, you know, we concentrated on delivering the balance sheet to, to further strengthen the tech company going forward. Um, you know, in April of last year, we announced a new capital allocation strategy and as the first part of that strategy, we concentrated on paying down the debt so that we can reduce break-even levels. Um, some of the peers started paying out dividends uh, ahead of us and, and, and set, the, set the path for us. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, but we, we wanted to sort of make sure that, that we have, um, we focus on sustainability in general, not sustainability just on the ESG side, but sustainability of shareholder returns going forward. What we found is the only way to do that is reducing the break-even levels down to a level that will allow you to pay dividends throughout the cycle so that you don't have to turn them on and off and lose the potential valuation impact from them. Um, you know, on, 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 the, on the debt side, we did a big refinancing of $450 million uh, sort of in the middle of, the, of 2021 that refinanced uh, two existing facilities that we had and left five vessels unencumbered has a nice, nice revolver in it, uh, 300 million at initiation to allow us to grow uh, opportunistically and obviously can be used for other purposes as well. Um, but, um, you know, again, sort of the, 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 the element and the basic uh, strategy has been pay down the debt. Um, you know, we, we, we paid down over $200 million worth of debt. So almost 45% of our beginning of year balance strengthen the balance sheet and set this company up for uh, sustainable dividends going forward. Great, thanks. I'm definitely sensing a bit of a theme coming across. Um, I, I think I'll pass on to Ted next, but uh, and, and ask whether it kind of mixes things up, uh, changing sector slightly now. Uh, but, but definitely a few, a few of the same, uh, same, same terms coming through. So I'll touch back on, uh, on those uh, uh, after, after Ted and James. Um, sure, thanks. Uh, 
as well, Giselle, Giselle and uh, thanks again to Capital Inc as well. Uh, look, um, we're all uh, public company CFOs. And so uh, capital allocation is, a, is, a, is the big theme. Um, it always has been, um, it goes by different names at different times, but um, I think we share uh, our, our colleagues uh, focus on it. Uh, some of the dynamics are different. Um, We've had, a, we've had a fairly good run even through COVID as a, as a sector, the day rates and the measured by the Baltic have been relatively healthy at times, uh, quite healthy. Um, you know, we've, we've seen um, obviously uh, different impacts from uh, the Ukrainian tragedy. Um, not much LPG, really no LPG goes in by sea, but um, as everyone's talked about, the watchword now is energy security. And, uh, and, and, and changing trade flows. And so that's something that we're certainly um, very mindful of. Russia's not a big exporter. They only export about 6 million metric tons a year, about half by rail car and, and the other by uh, MGCs out of Usluga near St. Petersburg. So the direct impact hasn't been much, although there is a need to get more LPG um, into Ukraine because they do use it some. Um, uh, without taking away from Poland, who also uses some, but um, all that's kind of set up for a decent, um, you know, trading environment for us. Again, no one wants to be profiting in someone else's misery, but as everyone said, uh, you know, changing trade flows and um, and short supply of ships in various basins can mean uh, healthier rates. Um, you know, as I look um, back on the prior year, I'd say, uh, like a lot of the guys said. Um, you know, we didn't quite enjoy the, 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 we had a good year, but not the, the renaissance, I'd say, that, that uh, the dry bulk sector enjoyed, uh, you know, dare say they're the, uh, the bell of the ball these days, along with containers. But um, we had a solid year. We returned a lot of capital to shareholders. Um, you know, we did, um, we did a couple dividends, returned $80 million uh, in, in, in dividends uh, at the very end, or the about two years ago now, we did a, uh, a large uh, self-tender offer, so uh, which returned $113 million in stock and reduced our share count by around 20%. Um, you know, a lot of that was enabled by cash flow, but also by a little bit of uh, refinancing activity. Uh, we did do a refinancing right at year end. Uh, it was, it was uh, interesting for us because it was a new market. Um, we, like some of the other guys, have obviously been active participants in the traditional Western European bank finance market. Uh, we've been very active users of the Japanese sale leaseback market, not the Jolco institutional market, but rather the, um, the, the, the sort of Japanese owner market. And, uh, but a new one for us was we tapped into the American commercial finance market. And uh, we, did a, we, did, we did two ships uh, with... Um, Bank of America uh, was led by Bank of America and a couple other uh, banks were involved as well. Um, and it was really, uh, it was a good execution. Uh, we raised, uh, we, re we refinanced two ships, freed up some equity. Um, the interest rate was quite competitive. It was 3.78% fixed for five years, um, which, you know, now actually sounds really good. At the time it sounded decent, but now it sounds really good. And I don't, I, I should apologize to them for hemming and hawing because the rate went up by three or four basis points right at the end and I wasn't happy, but um, you know, that's all water under the bridge given where rates have gone. So, um, you know, I think that's another interesting and frankly for me overlooked potential source of capital. Um, as we look forward, we only have one new building um, and we've uh, already paid for most of the equity piece and we have the debt in place. So I think as we go forward, um, 
like everybody said, I think our mantra, like others, is cash cost per day. That's what we live and die by. Um, you know, OpEx in our shop, probably like a lot of the other guys, is fairly sacrosanct. You don't mess with the ships. You don't mess with safety. Uh, G&A, you do, you know, there's obviously some levers you can try to pull there. And then you've got interest in principle. And so I think my focus will be over the coming years, finding out ways to maybe term out our debt some more. We don't have any maturities until 2025, but uh, always good to maybe term out some debt with obviously longer dated assets and uh, hopefully drive down the cash cost per day a little bit. And, um, you know, uh, we'll also continue to return capital to shareholders when we can. Uh, we announced a couple, I should neglect to mention, we announced uh, two sale leasebacks last week as well, which are more in the line of our traditional Japanese uh, homes. And uh, we'd sold one of our older ladies a little while ago. So, um, you know, we've, we've been uh, active in looking at different ways to change the balance sheet and ensure um, the best cost structure for a, from a go forward perspective. Great, thanks, Ted. And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to get a slightly different perspective in terms of sector. Uh, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't planned at all in terms of having uh, the, the, the different sectors and almost grouped together in that sense. And, and James, kind of moving on to touch on the tank, tanker sector, obviously, to some extent, the, the, the rougher ride uh, um, uh, for, for, for you uh, uh, against the, the, the panelists on the call. Um, so so how, how have you found the last few months, year, and, and, and things changing uh, for 2022? <laughs> Thank you. And uh, thanks to Nicholas and, and Capital Link for having us. Uh, difficult, I think, is, is the best, uh, best word. I'm, I'm, I'm envious of my counterparts on, on this panel. 2021 has been a, a transformational year for these companies. Hopefully next year, Scorpio Tankers will be in a similar position to, to my peers here on this panel. But I, I think first I have to thank them because after so many challenging years in shipping, they are generating significant cash flow and have, a, have done a great job allocating capital. Uh, they've reduced their debt, increased dividends, bought back shares. And I, I think this is great for the shipping industry as a whole. Uh, but for Scorpio tankers, the last six quarters, not even the last four were, were probably the most difficult in the company's history. COVID had a, a serious impact on personal mobility, which really reduced refined product demand and, and rates for our vessel. Uh, despite these challenges, the company did not raise equity. So we've been very, very active on the debt side. We have about 35 different facilities. Uh, to maintain liquidity, which was our goal, we, we refinanced vessels, we, we increased our leverage, we issued unsecured notes, baby bonds, and, and we did an exchange of our, of our convert. And our goal is really to, or has been to maintain liquidity in the event that the recovery doesn't take. Uh, or it takes longer than we expect. Recently, we sold some vessels. This reduces our, our overall debt and, and boosts our liquidity. Um, but our view for the year was really that, you know, oil and refined product demand should improve each quarter, right? As we get out of COVID, people travel, start commuting, going to work, see friends and family. Um, and, and then this should improve throughout the year. Recently, um, and it really prior to the Russia-Ukraine conflict, we, we started to see an improvement in rates on our vessels. Uh, but, but certainly the, the impact of, of the Russia-Ukraine conflict has accelerated the recovery in rates here. Uh, it's to be determined if this is you know, the start of the, the longer recovery we've been waiting for, or, or if, it's, uh, if it's a short kind of uh, recovery and then we, we see that after. 
But um, I think the next step for Scorpio tankers is really to reduce the leverage we added, you know, when, when times were tough and, and do it through scheduled amortization and, and maybe proactively in other areas. Um, we've refinanced our upcoming maturities for the next two years, except for one facility. So I think for us, it's, um, it's really, you know, about putting the company in a good position, executing, we don't have any new buildings on order, and kind of just working our way through this part of the cycle. Thanks very much, James. And it's it was interesting. I was making a few notes as as, as each of the panelists were, were speaking, and and it, funny enough, there were, there were several words that were mentioned by each and every panelist that included refinancing, repaying, reduce, deleverage, uh, and, and a, a number of uh, terms along those lines. So it's I, I don't know if anyone uh, managed to catch the uh, the ship finance the the bankers perspective uh, panel earlier in the morning or earlier in the afternoon uh, European time. But uh, it was interesting towards the end of that uh, panel discussion to, to hear that uh, you know that the banks were open for business and you know welcome and, and willing to lend, which wasn't wasn't always the case you know uh, five to ten years ago. And uh, and interestingly, you know our CFOs on the on the panel are, are talking um, you know repaying, deleverage, reduce. So that kind of brings me on very nicely onto the next kind of the next topic in that, you know, seeing that um, you know, the types of uh, uh, refinancings, you know, deleveraging, um, you know, share and loan note buybacks um, and, and, and the kind of the various approaches being taken, it, it very much seems that you know, less is more. Um, and uh, I, th I think it's that topic that I, I wanted to kind of throw to the floor and, and, and ask, you know, is, is that the, the new approach? I mean, obviously, um, there's been there's been um, uh, a lot of uh, difficult years where that has led to you know efficiencies and 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 uh, and, and you know, being more conservative in, in in those approaches. Is that is that the way forward? Uh, Apostolos, would you like to jump in there in terms of that topic? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, for us, it uh, it kind of always has been that case. Obviously, I think that you know, choosing the right option amongst the different alternatives that the panelists mentioned depends on the point of the cycle, right? Um, you, you, there are points in the cycle that you do want that higher leverage, which is going to give you a, 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 a bigger uh, liquidity piece uh, to potentially bridge you to, to better markets in cases um, or, or allow you a little bit more firepower if you think that, you you know, you have an uptrending market. Um other times, uh, a lower leverage profile might be more attractive. I think that, you know, if you think about, about it fundamentally, the, the goals of your financing should be get the lowest cost possible, get the most flexibility possible, uh, maintain capacity and build relationships. Um, you know, for us, uh, we've worked very much in building those relationships. And while being able to pay down debt and improving the balance sheet, um, it has allowed us to sort of achieve all of those things while sticking to the traditional commercial bank uh, market without needing to go to any of the other alternatives. Um, I mean, you know, our, our refi, you know, $450 million, $300 million revolver um, at uh, L plus 215 at the bottom of the grid. Um, so, you know, it sort of ticks uh, each one of these boxes and you know, after having paid back almost 200 more, more than $200 million worth of debt, we don't have any, any mandatory amortization um, until uh, the end of, you know, the maturity of the facility. So uh, we have managed to stick with a more, 
you know, traditional uh, bank financing uh, while getting some flexibilities from some other potential uh, instruments like a bond, for example, right? Uh, but also get the flexibility and the the ongoing relationship building with the bankers. Um, so, you know, again, I, I think just to recap it, depends on the point of the market. Uh, but, you know, it, ideally, if you, can, if you can get that low pricing, high availability and capacity uh, and flexibility, that's, that's the goal. Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree with, go ahead, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I'm just, I'm just going to say. I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree with App. I mean, it's, um, uh, you know, I think the first rule of capital markets that uh, I learned at some point in my misbegotten youth in investment banking was: you raise capital when you can, not when you need it. And, um, and I think that's really consistent with uh, Apostolos' saying because, look, um, you know, the banks go through cycles, uh, and I, I echo uh, the sentiment. We, we really focus on. Um, maintaining those relationships and doing business and trying to move, you know, fee business where it, where, where possible to our, to our commercial banking friends, because uh, they're all so good these days at calculating per client returns and profitability. Um, it's important to me that, you know, we're seen to be a profitable client. I say, I don't want to be your most profitable client. I don't want to be your least profitable client, but um, it is really important. And, and, uh, and so, um, but in, in, in view of the fact that sometimes the bank markets are open and sometimes they're less open, uh, from our perspective, um, you know, we, we like to have access to a couple uh, different markets, but again, uh, really do like to, to work with those traditional European uh, lenders because they're good partners through the cycle. They're smart, they're sophisticated, and uh, you know, they're, they're, they're good folks to, to deal with. Just to follow up on that, I, I suppose I'd throw this question to, to either Stavros or Seamus. I mean, I, I did notice that, you know, in, in, in each of the, the panelists going through kind of the, the, the latest activity, that, that there seems to be a, a bit more of a pick and mix of, uh, you know, the variety of the, on, the, on, on the debt side. Um, you know, it, simply, it seems that, you know, it, it's not just the, the, the traditional bank debt that, that's there. Everyone seems to have a much more diversified debt portfolios than, uh, than ever before. Is, is, is that what you're seeing? Um, is that a change that's happened over the last you know, few years at the tougher times? Is that something that you think you know, is likely to, to continue? I mean, the one thing that Ted mentioned was you know, the relationships, I think, are, are possible too, that you know, there are some key relationships and, and clearly those will develop. But have, having been through tougher times and you know, potentially brighter days ahead, you know, how, how does that change your, your approach, your approaches to you know, having, having different types of uh, debt instruments? And, and you know, as, as Ted mentioned as well, you're using capital markets. Well, uh, Jayhel, I think it's you know, what, exactly what Apostolo said. It's, it really depends on the point of the cycle where you are. Uh, I remember it was less than uh, actually two years ago when uh, you know, COVID started, basically, where all of us, without knowing how this the situation is going to develop the first thing that we have had on the top of our agendas was at that time to to refinance existing facilities to uh, increase uh, basically the uh, uh, the leverage of, uh, of uh, the companies and make sure that we could 
uh, have the company survive uh, for longer period under you know the uh, the situation uh, the, the restrictions basically of covid uh, in that we were seeing uh, early in 2020 uh, less than two years uh, after that, uh, in early 2022, the situation is exactly the opposite, basically. Uh, as you said, uh, less is more. Uh, we are uh, trying basically to delever uh, and uh, strengthen the balance sheet. Uh, we are in a tightening market and basically we are selectively uh, basically focusing uh, the relationship on, uh, you know, on uh, the tested uh, relationship that the relationship that we have with our financiers that can provide uh, uh, actually the most competitive terms, uh, lower costs, and uh, and uh, reduce, uh, you know, the overall uh, cost uh, of uh, of the platform. Uh, uh, this relationship basically have been validated uh, in uh, tough times back, you know, during the last decade, uh, and uh, we believe that they really make the difference uh, and, and uh, should be basically uh, uh, further uh, cultivated today. Uh, overall, I believe that all the panelists that you see today have uh, sufficient financing options and uh, uh, through different tools but uh, primarily on a tightening market i believe that uh, on top of our agendas uh, you know in, in dry bulk should be the the deleveraging and, uh, and strengthening of the of the balance sheet i can't agree more to what both simos and apostle said i mean I, I i love it coming to to panels like this and saying that we are 40% uh, levered, and all all our debt is scrap finance is scrap covered. Uh, but uh, in, indeed, I mean this has not uh, this has not been always uh, the case. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, and, and we're not shying away from the fact that uh, in 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 more challenging times for our markets and and for our company, we have resorted in alternatives that are offering higher leverage, longer amortization profiles, or no amortization at all, like convertible notes junior mezzanine non-amortizing loans, which come at a cost, but they serve a specific purpose. And indeed, in 2021, what we did was a flight to quality on all fronts. I mean, we have replaced all these legacy and expensive financings with more boilerplate structures. And on the corporate finance front, I mean, we did several buybacks of, 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 of old legacy equity-linked instruments that were burdening our capital structure. And this enabled us basically to deliver a cleaner investment platform to our shareholders and, and enhance their present and future returns. And indeed, the lessons learned from the recent past, they made us all approach leverage a bit more cautiously than what we did in, in, in the previous cycle. I mean, you cannot go in. If you look back what was happening in 2006, 2007, 2008, everyone was chasing the values of the vessels and were leveraging up. I mean, creating more liquidity. Uh, to to grow to, to to create more scale and to pay out dividends it's it's not the same this time i mean we're approaching things more cautiously we're looking at, at our break evens we want them to be sustainable in in every market and basically we aim to continue going forward maintaining the same approach on leverage and as simo said before i mean this will allow us to return capital to our shareholders at almost 
every market environment maybe i mean not resort to such more levered and more expensive solutions or alternatives uh, in the future you had the easier part of that question having come after apostolos and simos so uh, I'll, I'll ask you a follow-up question Stavros. so so interestingly i i when i'm speaking to on, on on the bankers panel i'd often ask them you know what would they look for in, in their borrowers uh, but, I, but I'll ask you, uh, what do you look for your, in, your, in your lenders? Uh, I mean, we're trying to balance between uh, flexibility, basically, and, and, and cost. That's what we're do, trying to do. And that's why you see us transacting both uh, with experienced shipping lenders, although the structures are, are a bit tighter. I mean, in terms of the profile that they're looking for and the restrictions that they put in, in terms of covenant, the restrictions that they put forward. And then, I mean, we do a lot of leasing with Asian counterparties, we be it Japanese or Chinese, and no, not so much on the Jolco side, as Ted said before, I mean, mainly with, with Japanese owners uh, in between, and, and depending on what we're looking to achieve on the pricing, on the profile, and on the leverage front. I think that the landscape that has been currently formed in terms of financing alternatives, it will still be around, give or take a couple of European banks that will be less active or will be exiting the market and a couple of new or more Chinese lessors that are emerging or ramping up their activities. So that's what we're looking for. I mean, the perfect combination, if there's such a thing, between flexibility in the structures and, and competitive pricing. Great, thanks, uh, Staros. We, we, we'll, we, we'll run out of time fairly soon. So I'll, I'll, I'll probably try and fit in one last, last topic, which uh, I think links to you know having a little bit more firepower. One thing that was mentioned was obviously the, the low order book uh, on, on, on the dry side uh, specifically, but, but also you know, the sale and purchase activity, which uh, James mentioned, uh, you know, whether, whether as, a, as a tool to do leverage or, um, you know, or, or otherwise. So on, on that topic, in, in terms of how you know, uh, each of the panelists see uh, uh, the, the sale and purchase side or you know, increasing on, on the, the new building side. And I think that, that's a, a topic that I, I, I like to, to touch on and I suppose you know, ultimately linked to, link to growth. Um, but I'll, we'll start with, with you, James, uh, on, on that. And then I think I'll, I'll pass to Ted after that. Um, how do you see the, uh, the, the sale and purchase side? And, and you, you mentioned, obviously, the, the, the transaction that, that Scorpio are looking to complete. Yeah, so we, we, uh, we're obviously not looking to buy ships. We actually announced uh, a sale of three vessels today uh, or this morning and, and also 14 uh, a few weeks ago. Um, the, the vessel sales for us do a few things. Uh, it, il it illustrates the discount our shares trade relative to our net asset value. So we've seen asset values increase substantially over the last 12 months. And obviously with the, the dry bulk companies, for example, the cash is accruing at the same time. So you've seen those share prices really go up, but we hadn't seen much movement there. The second is that it reduces our overall leverage Keep in mind, we do give up some operating leverage when we sell a vessel, but it does reduce the overall leverage of the company and it increases our liquidity. And then that really sets us up for flexibility, which is something we need. So what we've had to do is increase our debt in the more difficult times through sale lease back transactions, which give you a higher advance rate than, for example, your traditional bank lender. But essentially, we finally reached this point at Scorpio Tankers where we have kind of 
see the light at the end of the tunnel, the market's starting to improve. And with these vessel sales, we increase liquidity by about 250 million. And what we'll also do in the first half of this year, which we haven't been able to do, is reduce our debt. So we're gonna reduce our debt by around 500 million in the first half of this year. And that's a great stepping stone for us because as this market improves, what we will be able to show investors. So I think for us, it's really a, a show me, don't tell me story, which I think is really important. And we can execute on this plan to delever and then have more tools, whether it's following the dry bulk guys where you know share prices increase. So you go the dividend route. If the share price is lower, maybe buy back some stock or proactively delever, but it will be a, a, in a great, position to actually have the capabilities to do that. Right, Ted, did you want to jump in there? Um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say the, um, I agree with everything, you know, James had to say, his points were exactly well taken in terms of the effect on hopefully share price in terms of proving your NAV and uh, liquidity. And of course the, the, uh, the offset of the, is the operating leverage. In our, in our little world of VLGCs, it's been rather interesting. There has not been a, uh, real uh, arm's length sale of modern tonnage ever. Uh, and so modern tonnage for us is anything built 2014 on. Uh, there's been a very active market in the next generation. We sold two of our ships, 106, 108 built. Uh, some of our peers have sold some uh, 06, 07 and younger, uh, older tonnage. So um, we sort of have this two-tier market. And so it does put some pressure on Price discovery, unfortunately, for for uh, investors and for us uh, as as management trying to articulate the value proposition, I would say that's part of the reason that um, you know we've amped up our our, our dividend payments because um, you know if you can't prove them if you can't prove the asset value, at least you can improve your total shareholder return through through dividend payments. So um, it, our our world's a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, taking, uh, showing investors the, the power of those markets. Right, thanks, Ted. And uh, we're uh, into the last few minutes of our, our, our panel discussion. Time flies when you're having fun. So the last part uh, um, that, that actually uh, Apostolos mentioned, I'll, I'll open it to each of Apostolos, uh, Stavros and Simos, was uh, the, the, the uh, new buildings uh, and, and the order here. Um, and, and just kind of general general views on that, but um, I suppose one one aspect that I wanted to also mention is that uh, that, that phrase that I've commonly heard from bankers, which it that it only takes ten years to forget the mistakes we made last time. Um, so referencing the, the, the order book, um, uh, I'll, I'll hand over to the apostolos and your views. Yeah, I mean. Um... Thankfully, we're, uh, we're still far from the 10-year uh, memory loss mark, but uh, <laughs> never say never. I think that, uh, look, at the end of the day, outsized returns always find a way to correct themselves. Um, I, I, I think it is inevitable for, um, for an order book to you know, eventually start uh, building up, but at the very least right now, we do have good visibility over the next two to three years. Um, and we have various elements of uncertainty, you know, including geopolitical events, including choices of the next propulsion uh, of choice, uh, including other environmental regulations that are coming into play. So all of these things hopefully will keep a lead uh, in this over and this potential overinvestment period and and keep the returns uh, outsized for a little bit longer here. I couldn't agree more. 
basically i i believe it will take us more than 10 years to uh, basically to forget the mistakes that have been done in the past uh, obviously there's still uh, new mistakes to be made but uh, you know uh, both the uh, you know the fact the uncertainty around uh, environmental uh, new environmental regulations uh, the fact that basically uh, thanks to primarily our container uh, peers, the yards are full until, uh, you know, end of 2024, and it takes, you know, more than two uh, years, potentially three, for a new building delivery. Uh, we'll keep the, you know, the, the uh, dry bulk market uh, tighten uh, for, for, you know, the foreseeable future. And, uh, you know, I believe, uh, you know, uh, leaving Black Swan events aside, uh, we have learned from the mistakes that have been made in the past, and uh, we will uh, not see, you know, at least from uh, from uh, our dry bulk, uh, you know, public peers, uh, similar mistakes with, uh, you know, uh, owners uh, running to place uh, new building orders like there is no tomorrow uh, that we have seen in the past. Stavros, you have the last minute for, for any final thoughts on that topic. No thoughts, only a huge thanks to our container peers uh, that continue I mean, taking over the yard capacity. So there's not much left for us in dry bulk and we love it. I mean, continue guys, there's, there's much appetite for us to do things on the second hand market and uh, there's still lots of uncertainty on the environmental front. When the time comes, I mean, we will be ready and there's lots of untapped liquidity uh, connected with decarb funds and uh, sustainability loans and green projects that we can use to finance, I mean, the, our new buildings when the time comes. But for the time being and for the next two, three years, a huge thanks to all our container peers. But I mean, that's probably one of the one of the people that's missing from the from the panel is a, a, a container company CFO. But they're, they're, they're busy ordering. They're busy yeah. placing busy ordering, orders for busy new counting. <laughs> but uh, Apostolos, were you going to add anything there or? Uh, no, 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 no. I, 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 I think Stavros government pretty well there. Uh, you know, just uh, a big thank you to the Capital Link. I see Nicholas uh, jumping up on the screen as well. So. Nothing else from me. And, and, and thank you to, to each of the panelists on the call. Uh, we, we probably didn't get through a quarter of the, the, the discussion topics that we had, but uh, please, uh, the, the discussion was there. And I'll, I'll head back to Nicholas. Uh. Well, thank you to everybody. It's been a great panel. And uh, thank you very, very much, uh, all of you, for joining and uh, Jesu for moderating it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you Nicola. Thank you.